Dear Lord, we thank you for the time that we can spend together. We thank you that we love uh, each other and we thank you that we can come together. Thank you, Lord, that uh, tonight is not an accident um, and everyone here tonight is not an accident. Um, and we thank you, Lord, that you have something to say to us. We just pray that uh, it wouldn't just be words and it wouldn't just be feelings, but it would be um, a conviction and a heart change. And Lord, that we would uh, be more and more like you and love you deeper and greater and choose to follow you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So uh, tonight we're going to talk about something uh, that I, I don't think is like super like non-talked about in church. Uh, and that is the state of humanity, the state of ourselves and, and uh, how we've fallen short of the glory of God and all that kind of stuff. But hopefully we hear it in a new way. Um, and hopefully it's in a story that, uh, you know, is, it can, can hit us afresh. Um, but before we, we kind of open up, and we're going to look at Mark chapter 5. So if you want to whip it out um, on your phone or if you're analog, the Bible, uh, physical. Um, uh, the, the, I have a question for you guys. What is your motivation for coming to Jesus? So like, I assume you all chose to be here. And I, I hope that it's not just for the good times and the, and the people, um, uh, although that's totally fine, like, and we should be excited to see each other and everything. But uh, I, I assume you chose to come here to meet with Jesus as well, right? What is the reason uh, that you do that? Um, I think that a lot of the times we tend to believe that we do it, like, more for street cred or more because, like, it's ticking a box or more because like if I don't do it, I'll feel guilty or somehow it's not going to like, you know, fix some some deeper problem inside of me or whatever. Um, and uh, I just I kind of I kind of want to rebuke that. And I hope that tonight we will uh, break out of that. Now, you, some of you, as I'm saying that, you'll be like, no, that's not that's not why I, I meet with Jesus. Well, um, I have some questions to ask you specifically, and that is, um, when was the last time that you stuffed up, that you did something that you knew God would not be happy about? And then how did you, how did you engage with God as a result of that? Did it create distance between you and God? Did it make you want to run and hide? Did it make you want to like fall down and like cry and think that, oh, I'm so unworthy and you'll never love me again? Uh, did it make you go between those two extremes? Um, how did you engage with the people of God when you felt that way? Did you run away from them? Did you reject them? Did you not want to be seen by, by godly people? Or did you lean in and, and or did you somehow like try to put on a mask, an image, like I'm great, I'm awesome, uh, and, and like not show anyone what's going on in your world and what you're, how you're struggling? Um, how you answered those questions will actually tell you how, why and how you relate to God um, and what's going on in your heart when you relate to God. So uh, I, I look personally, um, I struggle with this um, and I have struggled with this for like the majority of my walk with God. Um, but God uh, is not happy to leave us in our struggles. He's not happy to let us repeat the same patterns. He wants us to break free from those patterns and he wants us to actually experience love and relationship with him. And he wants us to actually experience love and relationship in community as well. So we're going to read a story tonight 
about, well, it's actually a story within a story uh, about a woman who actually saw herself the way that she was and actually saw Jesus the way that he was. And as a result of it, uh, she acted out of extreme faith and extreme desperation. In fact, uh, tonight we're talking about uncleanness, but you could equally talk about, uh, you could equally call this topic um, extreme faith and extreme desperation. So let's have a look. Um, Mark chapter 5, verse 22 to 34. Um, we're going we're gonna to interrupt the flow as, as we do. So verse 22, let's have a look. So then, so Jesus is sitting down with his disciples. Then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name, and seeing Jesus, he fell at his feet and implored him earnestly saying, my little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. And he went with him and a great crowd followed Jesus and thronged about him. And there was a woman who had had a discharge of blood for 12 years and who had suffered much under many physicians and had spent all that she had and was no better, but rather grew worse. All right, we're going to pause there. So Jairus, he's like the, where the story kicks off. He's the um, head of the, or the ruler of the synagogue. Think of him like the senior pastor of, the ch- of a church or think of him like um, a, a board member of like a, a, you know, a, a massive church kind of thing. Uh, that is Jairus' standing. So this, is, this dude is important and he's coming before Jesus and he's, he bows at his feet and he says, Jesus, help me. My daughter, my daughter, she's dying. I need your help. And you're reading this. You're someone who follows Jesus. You're like, whoa, this is a big deal. Jesus is getting like notoriety and like, you know, street cred and like, you know, the, the head of the synagogue is coming to him. And like and, and then the story gets interrupted. Uh, we, we don't follow. Well, I mean, we conclude Jairus' story, but like uh, intentionally in all three of the Gospels where this story is recorded, uh, we get a break in the action. What's going on with this super important person for an unnamed woman? And she's not just an unnamed woman. Uh, We find out that her illness is that she has been bleeding for 12 years. Now, it doesn't say that it's her period or anything like that, but like you can assume that. Um, and uh, 12 years bleeding. Now, I am a guy, and I cannot fathom, like, I honestly cannot. And since being married, like, I kind of got glimpses, but I still cannot fathom. And I'm sure I'm going to have a similar experience when my daughter kind of, you know, but I cannot fathom what it's like to have your monthly time and... I don't know. Sorry, I know this is cringe, (laughs) but um, I cannot fathom what it's like to kind of go through that, uh, even if it's just for a few days. But imagine, and especially guys in the room, imagine 12 years, 12 years. And this is before like, you know, tampons and pads and like, you know, regular showering and all of this stuff. So so this is, a, this, this is a big deal for this woman. But here's the thing. That's our Western uh, 21st century mentality. Uh, it's actually an even bigger deal than that because, um, well, we're going to read some ancient laws together. We're going to read Leviticus 15. Uh, you don't need to open it up. I'll read it out for you. But um, this was a big deal in Jesus' society. 
the well, let's just read it. So uh, Leviticus chapter 15, and it's going to be from verse 19 to 31. When a woman has a discharge and the discharge in her body is blood, she shall be in her menstrual impurity for seven days. And whoever touches her shall be unclean until the evening. And everything on which she lies during her menstrual impurity shall be unclean. And everything also on which she sits shall be unclean. And whoever touches her bed shall be unclean, uh, uh, sorry, shall wash his clothes and bathe himself in water and be unclean until the evening. And whoever touches anything on which she sits shall wash his clothes and bathe himself in water and be unclean until evening. Whether it is the bed or anything on which she, she sits, when he touches it, he shall be unclean until the evening. And if any man lies with her and uh, her menstrual impurity comes upon him, he shall be unclean seven days. And every bed on which she lies shall be unclean. If a woman has a discharge of blood for many days, not at the time of her menstrual impurity, or if she has a discharge beyond the time of her impurity, all the days of the discharge, she shall continue to, in uncleanness. As in the days of her impurity, she shall, she shall be unclean. Every bed on which she lies, all the days of her discharge shall be unclean, etc. And then, but if she is cleansed of her discharge, she shall count for herself seven days. And after that, she shall be clean. And on the eighth day, she shall take two turtle doves and two pigeons and bring them to the priest to the entrance of the tent of meeting. And the priest shall use one for a sin offering and the other for a burnt offering. And the priest shall make atonement for her before the Lord for her unclean discharge. Thus you shall keep the people of Israel separate from their uncleanness, lest they die in their uncleanness by defiling my tabernacle that is in their midst. So this is a huge deal, right? You're on your period. You're a um, you know first century woman in uh, in Israel and in, in Jewish culture, and you have your period. Anyone around you who comes in contact with you, who comes in contact with the things that you come in contact with, they are unclean. You yourself are unclean until your period ends, and then seven days later, then. You're all good to go. You just got to ceremoniously wash. Then you got to go to the temple, sacrifice some stuff every month or, or however, you know, whatever your cycle does. That is, that is, that is crazy. And here's the thing. Unclean, unclean isn't just, oh, I'm dirty and I just need to wash it. Unclean means you are excluded from the presence of God. Unclean means you're excluded from relating to people your family, your loved ones, your husband, your uh, brothers and sisters, you're excluded from relating to them the way that you would normally want to. Unclean means that the implications on everyone else means that they want to stay away from you and that they want to kind of like, if they want to, you know, resume day-to-day activity and all that kind of stuff. That's what unclean means. Now, let's put it back in 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 the context of this woman. 12 years bleeding. Every day, 12 years. Do you think she had a husband? Do you think her family would be living with her? Do you think that for this whole period of time, she was allowed into the presence of God? Like that when she approaches church or synagogue or, you know, when she approaches the door and people know, oh, are you, are you okay? You still, you know, like this is a small community. Like these are small communities, like, you okay? You've seen many doctors. Like, did they fix you yet? Uh, no? Oh, well, maybe next week. 12 years of that. The reality is, the reality is, 
that you and I and every single person in this room is this woman. We are unclean. We have always been unclean. As soon as you were born, you were unclean. You were disqualified to enter God's presence. You just are disqualified entering the holiness of God with with your uncleanness. Not only that, your relationships to other people uh, at best, at best, tenuous, at best, dysfunctional. You have separation from other people. You pollute the environment around you. That, that's, a, that's, a, that's a biblical uh, viewpoint of the world. When you go and you slander someone, you're not just hurting their feelings, you're ruining that relationship, you're defiling the community. That's why uh, the end of that statement says, thus you shall keep the people of Israel separate from their uncleanness, lest they die in their uncleanness by defiling my tabernacle that's in their midst. The tabernacle being the presence of God. You see, God chose Israel and he said, I stake out amongst you. You are not going to just be like every other people. I choose you and I want you to choose me and I'm going to live amongst you. And as a result, because I am holy, as a result, because I am holy, you have to be different. You have to recognize your state. You have to recognize what you are and who you are in this world and who I am. And so, like, act accordingly. And we could debate all day, like, how fair this is and all that. We're not going to do that tonight. And, and that's a fun thing to do. If you want to come up to me afterwards and do that, we can do that. But, uh, but that's the reality of, the, of, the, like, of not just this situation, the whole situation. We are unclean. You have messed up relationships. You mess up the world around you, even in your best intentions. And you cannot, on your own wind and power, you cannot enter the presence of God. You just can't. Lest you die. Like if God showed up uh, right in front of you, literally, like we see accounts of this in the Old Testament. People, the first response, please don't kill me to God. Not because God's actually trying to kill them. They recognize, they see They see, they can't be there. So this woman, she's unclean. Um, So this was a big deal for this lady. Um, And yeah, like this was her situation for 12 years. Um, Verse 27. She had heard the reports about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said... If I touch even his garments, I will be made well. So this, this woman, uh, being in this desperate situation, being isolated, being cut off, being alone, being uh, an outcast, um, she is desperate, it's fair to say. Uh, and out of her desperation, she thinks, if only, if only she heard of Jesus Jesus is this miracle man, just like Jairus had heard of Jesus. He is a guy who does miracles. He's a holy man. He's a rabbi. Um, And she has this thought, if only I touch his clothes, just if only, then I'll be fine. She, She believed that so much that she actually did it. It's very easy to kind of believe something, but where your faith hits the road, where the rubber hits the road is your actions, right? And this lady, she is like, I'm like, I believe this, I'm going to do it. So she goes out and she uh, does this. Now, here's, here's the crazy part, right? To do this, now, if she was wrong, right? If she was wrong and she did this, what she would actually be doing is defiling this holy man, 
right? And not only we should be defiling this holy man, now Jairus, the head of the like synagogue is with Jesus. The implications are she would defile anyone who touched Jesus as well. So Jairus, the daughter, the disciples, the crowd who's literally pressed up against Jesus. This woman, it, it would be easy to think you're selfish. Look at you. What are you doing? How dare you? you like you're going to put all these people in the path of your uncleanness. How dare you? That's what you could say if you didn't have faith, if you didn't believe that Jesus was. Now, and here's the reality as well. The tabernacle. So let's say this woman uh, entered the synagogue, entered the temple itself um, while she was unclean and people found out that she was unclean. The temple would be unclean. People would have to do a cleanup job. They'd have to evacuate anyone who like the it's think of it as like nuclear radiation and waste. Like there is an afterglow, there is an after effect. You've got to kind of like separate here. But here's the reality. Jesus is the tabernacle. He's the, he's the embodiment of God's presence on earth. Jesus is God. And Jesus, wherever Jesus walks, is the tabernacle. But rather than, rather than thinking, well, I'm going to defile this holy man, or, or even if she thought that he was God, I'm going to defile God. No, no. Her faith was, no, no. He will heal me. That's radical. And, and it's, it's crazy faith. Like the, the point of this story, the reason why this story is here is to say, this is how this woman believed in, in Jesus. Like this is not a normal level of faith. This is an extreme level of faith. And it's, it's spurred on by ex, an extreme level of desperation. You see, you're not going to do this unless you're super desperate. It's not. Guess what God wants of you and me? God wants us to have extreme faith because we're extremely desperate for him. Like that's actually what God wants. He doesn't, he doesn't want you to just like, yeah, God, I'm going to come to church because it's a nice time and I'm going to read some or hear about some stories and sing some nice songs. Then we're going to go to Macca's afterwards and uh, that'll be a fun time. And uh, who knows, maybe my future wife is in this room and, or my future husband and, uh, you know, whatever. God, do your thing. Like, come on. I'm sorry if that cut too, too close to home. <laughs> But here's the reality. That's not how God wants you to come to him. God wants you to come to him saying, I see who I am. I see who I am. And I see who you are. And I desperately need you. Continuously, desperately need you. And I continuously, desperately, just for the sake of touching your clothes, just for this, the, the merest contact with you, um, I'll, I'll, I'll do anything. And... Um, here's the thing, like, like if we're going to let's keep criticizing this woman for a little bit, like touching his clothes like that was a, that was a little bit of a superstitious, like, a, you know, like a pagany kind of thing. Like, that's not how God works. This is not how God works throughout the Old Testament. Like this woman had flawed theology. What a what a horrible woman this is. You're, you're coming to Jesus. You're going to put all these people at risk. And then you're going to what? You're going to think that just touching his clothes is going to somehow make you better? Come on, read your Bible. Like, no. No. We, that, and well, let's read on, actually. So let's have a look. Verse 29, uh, 29. Immediately the flow of blood dried up, and she felt it in her body that she was healed of her disease. 
immediately. Immediately. Now, here's, here's what happens with us. Like, you can have flawed theology. You can uh, be the, the, like, you could, you could, this could be the very first time you've ever heard of Jesus. But if you have faith and desperation for him, the best way that you know how, whether it be like saying a two-word prayer, or, you know, stumbling across and like trying to touch him, whatever it may be, it doesn't matter how you try to contact him. Immediately, immediately you are clean. Immediately. Now, here's what the text doesn't go on to say. And she was perfect and lived forever and, and was happy and whole and, uh, and it, it, everything went her way. And she got married and she had kids and, and she, you know, the, the temple people said sorry to her for not letting her in or whatever. That, that, like, the story will end very shortly. But the whole thing, the whole thing is that she was now clean. Okay? She wasn't perfect. She wasn't perfect. She's still a sinner. Well, she's clean. The way that Jesus sees her, and we'll read how he interacts with her, the way that uh, she can go about her life now is, I'm clean. I had, a, I, I had an encounter with Jesus. I'm clean now. No one can take that away. So many of us, we come to Jesus and we, we, we touch him. We, we engage with him. We encounter him. We have this moment. We, we become Christians. We, we say, Jesus, my life is yours. And we, we have him live in our hearts, the Holy Spirit. And um, that's great. But then we go on to live life, a life that thinks that we're still unclean. We still kind of like walk around like, oh, but like, oh, God, you, I can't enter your presence. And oh, you must hate me. And oh, like, I can't say sorry to, to you about this again. And oh, like, I can't engage with other people around me. Like, oh, what a, what, a, what a bad person I am. What a sinful person I am. I'm unclean. I'm unclean. You act as if you're unclean. Did you experience Jesus or not? Did you encounter him or not? Did you reach out to him with faith, with desperation or not? Are you clean or not? Like, you don't need to keep living this self-perpetuated lie, this self-perpetuated deception. You are clean. That doesn't mean you're perfect. It doesn't mean you're not going to struggle. It doesn't mean that... Things are going to go well for you. But it does mean you're clean and you can act accordingly. And, and here's the thing. This woman, she does it anonymously and she shrinks back in the shadows. Jesus is not having that. Verse 30. Uh, and Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him, immediately turned about in the crowd and said, who touched my garments? And then his disciples said to him, the crowd is pressing around you, and yet you say, who touched me? And he looked around knowing, uh, he looked around to see who had done it. Do, why do you think this is here? Do you think that, like, we can rob heaven of miracles? We can rob Jesus of a miracle? Do you think that's why this is here? Like, Jesus is like, what's going on? What's happening? How dare you? Well, like, you didn't ask for permission. We should have had a conversation. Do you think that's why this is here? No. The, the point of this miracle, it's not, it's not just a miracle. The point of this story, again, is, is you and me, this is our state. This is humanity's state. The point of this story is God's, God's response to you when you want to be clean, when you want to come near him, when you want to engage with him, is immediately yes. It's immediate. Like you, there's no debate. There's no conversation. There's no, oh, but if it's in your way, it's immediately yes. Not everything is like that, but this is like that. And 
Jesus is not wanting to debate or like question or wonder if this, this person is worthy or whatever. We'll go on to see that. He's doing this because he doesn't want her to be anonymous. He's doing this because he doesn't want her to now live a life where she can just go around and like she goes back to her community and they're like, so are you clean now? Like, do you want to enter the tabernacle? Like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I saw this one doctor finally, like all good. Um, they gave me some uh, trenexamic acid. It's all <laughs> under control or microlot or whatever. No, no, that's not the deal. She came, uh, Jesus came and confronted and stopped the crowd, stopped desperate Jairus, who we haven't thought about in a while now, um, and, and just stopped everything to say, no, 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 you're not going to, this is not going to be an anonymous thing. This will mark your life. This should mark your life. Everyone around you should know, and you should know, and this is now your story. What is your story? What's your story? Like, when you think about your life, do you think, I lived this life and then I met Jesus, I encountered Jesus, he did this for me, he, he engaged with me in this way. And then, and then like, you know, and then I tried to get into this course and like, and then, uh, you know, and then, oh man, I'm still single after this many times. Or, oh, you know, I'm facing this struggle. Is that your story? Is that how you live life? No, your story, your story should be marked by the one who saved you. Your story should be marked by the one who literally redefines you, who literally redefines your circumstances, situation. No matter how minor or how major that is, that's how your story should be told. That's how you should view your own story. So this woman is not allowed to just go off in the shadows and not like have her story told and not have anyone really know that this happened to her. Jesus will confront her and will get her. So verse 33, the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. So she's afraid. Why do you think she's afraid? What do you reckon? Right. And it's a shameful thing. Like, literally, like we just were contemplating, like you've put all these people in harm's way and, uh, you know, is Jesus now going to be thought of as unclean? And like, you know, I'm so sorry for making you unclean or whatever. Like she's now, she's now engaging with Jesus as if, I'm going to be rebuked. I'm going to be judged. I'm going to be shamed. I'm going to be found out. Um, Do you know the heart that God has for you? Do you know how much love he has for you? Do you know that all he ever wants to do in your life is make you whole and make you experience more of his joy and his presence and experience more of life the way it's supposed to be? Do you know that? Or are you constantly like trying to hide from his love and hide from, hide from his potential judgment, hide from his potential condemnation, hide from other people's, like will other people's potential condemnation and, and judgment or other people's potential condemnation and judgment prevent you from experiencing a, a, like a conversation with Jesus where people get to see what he did for you? Will that stop you? Um, love. Don't act out of fear, act out of love. And so, but she was, she was afraid. And um, this is how Jesus responds to her, verse 34. Um, And this is our last verse. 
He said to her, daughter, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. Uh, Jesus, uh, to my memory and to my uh, understanding, this is the only time that Jesus responds to um, someone as daughter. Um, Daughter, uh, no longer, like, she may have lost her family. She may have lost her potential husband or betrothed or whatever. She may have lost her community. Um, But now, in Jesus' eyes, you belong to me, daughter. Um, In Jesus' eyes, she has a home. She has a place. Um, In Jesus' eyes, he has tenderness for her. He loves her. Um, He sees her. He acknowledges her. Um, And he does not shame her. And he does not disgrace her. He does not challenge other people or invite other people to comment or, or critique. Daughter, your faith has made you well. This, this, this would have been a profound moment. And uh, if you guys watch the show called The Chosen, I'm not plugging it. Like I, I kind of have some problems with it, but overall it's pretty good. Um, but this episode, uh, I think there was an episode recently actually with this um, story. And I think that like they played out this moment decently well. Um, just astonishment on Jesus' face. Maybe he, he wouldn't have been astonished. I don't know. But like astonishment, love, tenderness, just wanting to embrace her and to lift her up. Literally, we know that this is how God feels because Jesus actually says, uh, if one of the little ones come back, there will be such rejoicing and shouting. I think it's after the prodigal son. Um, there will be such rejoicing and, and celebration in heaven, like just to be known by him, just to be embraced back into his arms, just to be invited back into the family of God. Um, this is such a profound... And to, to be that way in such an extreme circumstance with such extreme faith and such extreme desperation, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed. So, um, you are this woman. Um, uh, Hebrews eleven six, by the way, says, Without faith, it's impossible to please God. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. You can't please God without faith. And I would dare add to that, um, you can't have extreme faith if you aren't extremely desperate for him. And that desperation might be um, a place of like, I need you because I'm struggling. It might be out of a place of like, I really see who I am and I see the depths of my heart and I need you because I can't go on this way. It might be, I need you because everything else I've tried has failed. I mean, this woman literally had seen multiple doctors uh, not dissing any of us here who are doctors or trained to be doctors, but like we can't do it, um, but Jesus could. And so if you've tried everything, it hasn't worked out, guess what? There is one avenue. You just got to be desperate enough um, and have enough faith. So um, how, do you, how do you view yourself? How do you view yourself? Like when you look at yourself, am I the, the top of the top, the creme de la creme? Everyone here should like, Jesus, you're great, but you know what? Like, you know, maybe if I just had your title, like, you know, is that how you, like, I was obviously, you know, you know, hyperbolic, but the idea is like some of us, some of us really do think too much about that. I certainly have. 
Um, I certainly have. Um, how do you view yourself? Or is it I am the, the worm that is under, underneath your shoe, just trample me? Um, is that how you, you view yourself? Like, I am unworthy of your time, your attention. I'm unworthy of love and connection. I'm unworthy of wholeness and restoration. How do you view yourself? Um, when you think of yourself as too good, obviously you're not going to be desperate enough. If you think of yourself as too low, you might be desperate enough, but you're certainly not going to have any faith. How do you view yourself? Um, the reality is, and, and by the way, um, living a life where you think you're not good enough, it doesn't have to be you articulating or thinking those thoughts that I just had. It can literally be a life of hiding in the shadows, a life where no one will ever see me, no one will ever love me. And so I'm just going to live my life this, the way that I know how, and I'm not going to even try to seek you because what's the point? I'm not worth the possibility of wholeness, restoration, love. Like you do it with your actions. You do it with your actions. You don't have to say those words. The way that you live your life speaks volumes. Um, and, and just the same thing with the pride and the arrogance. You don't have to say the words, Jesus, I'm better than you. You can literally live your life that way um, where you will like you, you look at a woman like this and all you see is how dare she. Um, that's a life of arrogance. So how do you view yourself? Do you have enough faith? Do you, do you see Jesus enough? to be able to have faith in him? And are you desperate enough? Do you humble yourself enough? Um, and how do, you, how do you view Jesus? Um, do, you, do you believe that he actually can make you clean? Like, or is he just another physician waiting in the wings, maybe disappoint you, maybe help you out for a short-term period, maybe make some parts of your life okay or whatever? And if that's your experience, by the way, if your experience with Jesus it's like life got better in certain parts, but in other parts, I'm still a mess. I'm still a ruin. Uh, you need to invite Jesus into all of your life. You are not. You are not. He is not permeating all of your. You are holding up walls and barriers. And there's probably multiple reasons why you might do that. But um, you need to let him in in every, every dimension of your heart. So how, can he do that? Do you believe that he can do that? Um, do you believe that he, he wants to call you son and daughter? Do you believe that with tenderness, with love, with desire, he wants to welcome you home into his arms? Um, all you need to do, all you need to do is to trust. That's what faith is. So faith being this spiritual mumbo jumbo word sometimes we get in our ears at church. It just means trust. And who do you trust? You don't trust a stranger. You don't trust a random, I hope you don't. Um, you trust someone that hopefully you want to connect with and, and someone worthy of connecting with. So you just need to trust him. You just need to have the desire for him. Um, and you need to be desperate enough to do that. Uh, I want to invite you guys to close your eyes with me and bow your heads. These words are not going to be unique in your life. I hope they will not be unique in your life. Uh, these are words I have heard in my own life countless times. Um, but 
there is there is a moment in time where you choose to make these words more than words in your life where you choose to actually engage and engage means talking to God which is what we will all hopefully do now but engage also means like do something it means reach out to a tangible presence of God it might be in this room it might be a family member it might be a friend it might be another pastor reach out to a tangible representative of God reach out to maybe other people maybe professionals i don't know like i don't know your story i don't know your circumstances it means by faith saying as best as i know how i'll touch your garments if that's that's the best thing i can think to do right now i'm so desperate and i'm so in need i'll just touch your garments so whatever that looks like to you um but i would i would i would boldly say and i think that this is the way jesus designed it i would boldly say that one of the ways that that looks like is by reaching out to the community of god reaching out to actual fellow believers but it also means obviously talking to him yourself So dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that you are the walking tabernacle, but wherever you are, sin and death cannot, cannot prevail. You can, it cannot endure in your presence, Lord. Immediately you bring life. Immediately you clean us. Immediately you make us um, well. You see us, you cover us by your blood, and you see us as whole, and Lord, then the real work begins. Then the fullness can come. Then the transformation, the joy, the life that you actually have for us, the identity that we are actually called to live into. Lord, we, we as best as we know how, say we trust you. As best as we know how, we say we will take an action. We want to take a hold of you as, as best as we can think how. And Lord, as we do that, we trust that you will do the work that you have for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Mm -hmm.